This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And tell me about Craig Shakespeare. Um, He's been brought in. What's the thinking behind this? You know, I just wanted to add to our coaches tally of Premier League titles so, <laughs> you know we've now got seven I think you know JT's got six and he's got one when I go home late at night this is a song that I really like to sing right now so I'll play it for you it's uh, called My Old Man Welcome to the My Old Man Said podcast, your vaccine to the pandemic of clickbait. I'm David Michael, your host and editor of MyOldManSaid.com. Joining me for episode 113, Mr. Christopher Budd. Hello. Welcome. And Mr. Phil Shaw with a mighty new microphone. Hello. Hallelujah. Crystal clear. We are just uh, rejoicing in... uh, the team with probably the best hustle in football at the moment. Uh, that that Spanish version of Aston Villa, Sevilla, got the last bit right. Yeah, they should uh, get rid of the uh, the SE. They've won the, the UEFA Cup or the Europa League, as it is now called. Uh, this is the I think they've entered it ten times. They've won it six times. Nuts. Never lost a final, semi or quarter. That is astonishing. I mean, that is German efficiency. Hmm. And they're not even German. Nope. I mean, UEFA Cup back in the day was the hardest cup trophy to win because uh, the European Cup was the winners of the league, but it was just like one team from Italy, one team from Germany, one team from England. While the UEFA Cup was your second to fourth best team, so that you know the next season those two to four may be the best teams, you know, in in whatever country. And then when it became the UEFA Europa League, it became the like. The, it was like just the cup that was the biggest pain in the ass to win. So uh, they've done really well. Pain in the ass to lift as well. Massive trophy. <laughs> yeah. No, no handles. I, I, it's a good trophy though. I mean, it's one of those, as the UEFA Cup, I, I would have liked Villa to win it. Now it's the Europa League. It's, it's just too much hassle, isn't it? But uh, congratulations uh, to the Spanish equivalent of uh, Villa. Right, coming up in uh, this show, episode 113, we'll look at uh, the Premier League fixtures, which were announced this week. The away kit was launched. But apart from that, there was no new signings. There still hasn't been a signing apart from uh, the Academy are still adding to their ranks. We'll look at a quick look at some uh, media muppetry as well. And in the three points, we'll look at an idea to spread the uh, FA Cup money uh, down the pyramid uh, in these COVID times to try to uh, help, uh, let's say, the more vulnerable teams out. We'll also look at the uh, Football Supporter Association's Sustain the Game campaign, which launched this week, which uh, bears in uh, mind the uh, increasingly precarious situation that many clubs now find themselves in uh, with the pandemic. And then we quickly ponder the question, are Barcelona now? in turmoil as everybody seems to be booted out and uh, Messi's got a bit of a dilemma
dilemma as well, although he is 33, so I don't know if he's going to be sticking around too long. Also, we return back to the conventional uh, underrated and overrated, where we'll be looking at the villa careers of Mr. Brad Guzan and Julian Joachim. We'll have a quick thoughts on Dean Smith's uh, recent interview. Villa are obviously in Wales uh, as we speak, doing their pre-season, or kicking off their pre-season. Anyway, let's get into uh, the Villa news. First of all, uh, fixtures. Is it just me or was it a bit of an anti-climax? Because normally you're looking at the games that you can go to, whether you're you know regular or whether you're cherry-picking them, or if you live abroad and you uh, pop into two or three games a season, you, you're getting them down in the diary. But flicked on my computer at 10, went to the BBC and then saw that... Uh, the opposition to Putin had been poisoned, and I saw the fixtures next to it, and I went to the uh, the story about Russia first yeah. because uh, there is that kind of it doesn't really matter, it's does more it? More dramatic. Well, yeah, it's like Jesus Christ. There's the, the, those guys. Uh, there's no limits to uh, you know what what they're prepared to do. And then I eventually uh, flicked onto the fixtures, and I can't even remember any of them really. Yeah, it's it's very much um, it's very much kind of a meh moment. Yeah, Manchester City game is postponed. Um, I mean, just reading uh, what some of the listeners were saying about it, uh, as uh, Ben Redding, who uh, has been on the show a few times, says, "Why didn't the Premier League have City and United playing each other on the opening weekend, or is that too easy a fix?" It seems a logical fix. They probably don't think it works for them in terms of we want you know we want it to be later in the season when we can maximise TV revenue. Yeah, I think the uh, Sky I think have an influence where certain games kind of slot in the calendar. I think. Yeah, uh, well, well, at least the thing I took out of it is that with the city game being postponed, it gives you an extra week of prep. Yeah. So whether yeah. it's whether it's transfers or preseason training or just organization it can only be good because we've seen how that a big gap helped us the last time so and then on paper you've got two fixtures that you should be taking points from if if you have any ambition uh, this season yes. Sheffield United at home and Fulham away so if we carried on and we stretched our unbeaten run to six games before we come up against Liverpool at home that would be a uh, a good start to get get the blood flowing I think I'd say so it'd be good to put a marker down early this year Richard Lewis says I hope we're not in another relegation battle going into the last five games that looks like a difficult run-in. Potentially, yeah. Just to read out May's uh, closing fixtures, you got Everton away, Manchester United at home, Crystal Palace away, and then it's which is pretty similar to how we finished this season in uh, the restart period. But then you've got last two games, you've got Tottenham away and Chelsea at home, so uh, that's probably tougher than uh, than we feel. Although we had Arsenal at home and uh, West Ham away, so we still had a double London team whammy. Get Trezeguet primed and ready. Exactly. GH Villa says, I am really pleased that this fixture is being played at a later date. This is the Manchester City away game. A good end to the season. New signings, hopefully a good pre-season. Where a thumping loss on day one, we could have lost any chance of momentum from how we finished last season. I replied to him saying, well, we'd have beaten them. Yeah. You know, if you're going to play Manchester City actually away, which let's say it's, I would say it's the toughest fixture because historically we've done all right in recent times uh, or recent visits to Anfield. You might as well play the first game of the season while there's still that wild card factor. So, uh, but I understand what GH is is saying because uh, that momentum, as I said, Sheffield United, Fulham. If you can, you know, carry on six games unbeaten, then you're starting to uh, seriously get some uh, confidence in the bank. Yep. Andy Sodden says, well, I hope we're safe by April as it's a horrible run-in. A couple of people have uh, echoed those thoughts. Nick Price-Thompson says, nice early run of Leeds, Southampton, Brighton, Arsenal, West Ham, Newcastle. Yeah, these are all teams that you would fancy yourself. Uh, you know, if we are going to be good this season, then there should be a little harvest of points there. I mean, Craig Gregory's pretty much sums up how I was uh, approaching the end of the season. They're, they are, are going to be no easy wins at all. We must show up and play for every match. And I think that's where we are at the moment. Because yeah. Good teams can have an off day. We, we've shown we can turn up and play well. So it's just take each game as they come. I see Paul Stringer wrote there's no room for mistakes this year. I think uh, Baggies, Fulham, Leeds are a bigger challenge than Bournemouth, Watford and Norwich. So, so what was it, what was said before that the league is stronger? Yeah, definitely. And uh, it's good that this is not our season back. 
I mean, I'd say they are stronger, but then I, I look, I speak to a lot of uh, pals of mine who are Albion fans, and they haven't bought anyone, and they don't look like they're going to, and, and they, they all think they're weak. Yeah, we're not talking about Albion, though. <laughs> Leeds, like, they're a good side, but on their Leeds day, will they, be they're up very for it. beatable. Be bang up for it. Yeah, well, especially I wish we while, managed especially that. Especially while the, um, the fans aren't there, which I think going, going to Ellen Road with a full house baying for blood would be a difficult away day one of the most difficult trips you'll have whereas going to Leeds with an empty stadium I think completely changes the dynamic uh, it's a shame because you know this this is the character of football that we want we want to be going to Ellen Road with all those uh, people baying for blood this it's uh, I wouldn't swap that for an easier fixture in a sterile environment and an, an environment that you can't actually you know you're not allowed to go to as well anyway we'll try to keep some uh, enthusiasm going for the rest of this show away show came out it was the one that was leaked uh, i think the giveaway was uh, that leaked picture looked like it was a uh, one of the women's team which suggested uh, that they did a sh- photo shoot with them at the same time as when they modeled the home kit obviously they managed to fit in time after that with uh, mcginn and connor horahan and ezra konza to do uh, the uh, actual eventual uh, promotion but i think you know it looks all right i mean looking at uh, I think the first recent black away kit was I thought there would there was like let's say one every decade for you know going back but it was 2000 2001 the uh, Diodora NTL was the first time we had a black away kit since the late 1800s wow and mm-hmm. I think I think 1878 for two seasons our home kit was actually black this is like one of our early incarnations of a, of a shirt so there is those historical roots that it was actually a uh, we serve that scottish line on the front so it was a very scottish looking uh, black top so there are you know roots up you know some people say oh you know i don't like black tops some you know some people like them but it is actually a color that uh, is synonymous with the uh the early, early history of uh, Aston Villa. Uh, you know, wrote an article on myoldmansaid.com. This probably goes up against that Knight FX Pro uh, black away shirt as, as probably yeah, the best. Yeah, that had uh, the little checkerboard thing down the side. Yeah. Yeah, it's probably, the, I think this one's better than the Under Armour one. I wasn't that much of a yeah, fan of I that. Yeah, I think this is probably one of the better of the recent offerings. And when you look at the, the last batch of training gear, they've definitely gone for a more, you know, classic, minimalist kind of look. Yeah, it's smart. Yeah. And it looks, it looks like it belongs in the Premier League, whereas I think some of the Under Armour stuff looked a bit pony to me. Hmm. Black's always flattering as well. McGinn's yeah. never looked better. <laughs> and vertical stripes, stripes for those gut busters. Although they will, those stripes will bend with these gut buckets. <laughs> mm. But yeah, no, it's, uh, I think, you know, it will sell well. And uh, I always think black away shirt it suggests that you mean business when you turn up to an away ground. In terms of players coming in, uh, again, the baying Twitterati are getting frustrated now, aren't they? Because nothing's dropped. Yeah, it's getting very lively every time the club posts anything. Wait, so this is happening to uh, my man said's Twitter account as well now. Anything I post, you know, anything like, in, you know, new shirt is here. It's like, announce a signing now. <laughs> but uh, Ben Christine has dropped in. Uh, he's our weekly acquisition for the uh, Youth Academy. Is he? He's about 16, isn't he? Yes, I believe so. So it's his first yeah. sort of full pro contract yeah, yeah. i think he's only played a few minutes uh for uh, exeter so they didn't really feel the need to uh, retire his shirt i mean it's <laughs> no, one of those, room or anything like that yeah it was one of those situations where the fans haven't really developed a relationship with him i thought it was quite funny when you see um exeter were fawning over villa on you know their social media saying oh so, such professional you know fantastic in their uh negotiations and you know very professional that that i mean everybody was tweeting that because it's like oh yeah positivity for the club but this is exeter normally these things if a big club comes in and and they want your best you know young talent they always normally goes to tribunal and there's always a, a fuss about it but i think villa are paying top dollar now because they want to outbid your liverpools your manchester cities and they are being quite aggressive in the marketplace. So that's why Exeter were very happy uh, about how Villa conducted themselves and they didn't have to go to tribunal because, you know, essentially we, they just got a big bumper bumper price. And I thought, oh, thank you very much. Thank you very much for the uh, for the for, for the inflated dosh. Well, youth systems and, you know, academies and stuff are big business, aren't they, for these clubs, especially at that level yeah. where if they get a promising 16, 17, 18 year old and they can sell to a bigger club, that money keeps them going. Yeah, it's one of the revenue streams they've got. But I think it's it's just good to see that you know the club are trying to, as you said, be aggressive, be ambitious, 
across yeah. all areas of the business. You now we we talked in the previous pod, didn't we, about the the huge sort of steps they're taking on, like the women's side of the club, which is great to see. And yeah. and then I think the academy they're going to go in hard, and they're, they're they're trying to you know try and be the best in class. I think Perslow said, didn't he, earlier in the year that they want to be the best in across the middle of England. Yeah, but you know the, the fruits of this aggressiveness won't be seen for couple of seasons at least i wouldn't have thought yeah probably i'd say about three or four really before we uh start to know if any of these guys are actually any good because you know you don't know at this uh, moment in time apart from that and i mean we're getting into uh it's like ground zero for some of the the stories that pass as uh well as news i mean the douglas louise thing i, I remember like a week or so ago there was adamant stories that uh, Manchester City will not be uh, looking to, you know, trigger that kind of recall uh, clause, whatever it's called, of 25 million. So you just thought, yep, Douglas Louise is definitely here for another season, no problem, because he's only just started playing well in the last few games. And I'm sure Manchester City would not consider him a, a Champions League winning or league title winning midfielder at the moment. They'd definitely be keen, if, if their intent is to get him back, to see him play over another season. Well, it's in their interest, isn't it, really, for him to have a good yeah. season? Because if, if you, we discussed before, you know, if Douglas Louise has a very good season for Villa this year, his value is way more than 25 million and therefore exactly man city will know that they're potentially getting you know if luis has a good season a 30 40 million pound player for potentially half price it's a it's a bit of a no-brainer isn't it for them and you know that is the football logic behind this story so when you see these clickbait idiots putting their shit out and it'll be a, it'll be a ill-founded story from another country normally the country of where that player comes from just to give it some pretend legitimacy then the birmingham mail tries to play the aggregate oh we'll you know we just do stories of everything you know any rumor but you know they don't even editorialize and filter out the shit they just put it out because they want the fucking clicks and so they put it out and you know the usual thing fans in panic and you know people's fear is being played on here and people have got to think a bit more when they see this shit and just not engage or react to it. And then, you know, I put out a story and I didn't, you know, I didn't rush out with it. I put it out four hours after basically under the uh, the label of Medium Muppets and just wrote the football logic of it. It is in Manchester City's interest to see Douglas Louise play a full season again at Villa because at the moment they haven't got a player that's worth anything. They'll be paying 25 million and he's not a 25 million player at, as we speak, is he? He's one still of potential, but as Chris just said, another good season and then suddenly his value goes over that uh, buyback clause. Mm-hmm. And then there's, uh, while none of us know sort of the ins and outs of the contract, this, if we do hold on to him in our season, the, the buyback clause is rumoured to go up to 35, so it's it's an even better deal for us. And still, it's still, it's still buttons to them, so... Yeah, and he's not going to get in their team because they're not competing on the level of, oh, you know, let's see if he's all right. It's like they they need uh, players that are ready to win titles and, you know, ready to win Champions Leagues or at least try to. And anyway, so then, you know, suddenly, you know, I put out this story and I was the only person out to challenge this. And then uh, Percy, about just under an hour, about 45 minutes after me, uh, puts out a story to say, no, they're not uh, buying back and then you know then the birmingham mail put out a story where they put 100% he's staying and it's just cutting three or four tweets by random fans and that 100% he's staying was no real substance to it it's not douglas louise coming out and say hey 100% i am staying it's just some fan making a joke to the picture of Douglas Louise took when he landed back in Birmingham with Birmingham in the background from the view of his apartment and saying, you know, my home. And the Birmingham Mail put it in the headline as if it's like a, a quote from somebody. I mean, it's just so, you know, disingenuous. And, you know, the same with uh, this kit launch. The kit launch uh, goes out and there's no Grealish in the pictures. And then, you know, the young fans who have been preyed on by uh, all the clickbaiters who have uh, got them into a state of paranoia over Grealish because, you know, we've had loads of stories that Grealish has signed up, he's bought a house and he's gone, you know, months ago. But you know, hey-ho, he's still here. He's still uh, in training with Aston Villa, mysteriously. And so when they don't see him in these pictures, it, they start to panic again. And then cue clickbait headline and by the way he's not in the pictures because as soon as that final whistle went against West Ham he went off to Spain and then he went to Greece and he's literally been back a couple of days 
and they do these photo shoots in advance. They don't do it five seconds before they put it on their social media. So you wouldn't expect him, uh, you know, as soon as you saw him in Greece, pretty much knew he wasn't going to be involved in any photo shoots for the away kit. But, you know, cue headline, oh my God, worried Aston Villa fans make same points after club reveal. And what is it? It's just three fans panicking about uh, no Jack Grealish. That's not fucking news. That's not even, you can't even pass that off as a, oh, we're an aggregate. We just put out everything. That is just there to cause panic, get people to click. It's just fucking 100% bullshit. Same as the, you know, the Dean Smith interview that the club put out. You know, the, the club put out a nice, you know, official piece of content, bit of a lowdown on what's been going on with Dean Smith and his thoughts, you know, in retrospect on last season. And then all of a sudden it becomes like you know, the inside story of a master plan and a yeah. various other things in about a six part special. And it's sad what they don't, they don't have respect and this, and you've got to earn respect. And they've over the years have made no real attempts to, uh, I mean, we're talking about, a, a, you know, a company that may change its name, but the reason it changes its name because from the Trinity Mirror to, reach is because they're still trying to distance themselves from uh, the misdemeanors of phone hacking. I mean, it's it's just another version of shonky practice. And, you know, young people sign up to work there and, uh, you know, they have, they're earnest and they've got good intentions and it's, you know, they're in a morally bankrupt organization still, which, uh, you know, it's, it's sad for them, really. So this has been the worst for it so far whether i don't know whether it's because the transfer window or the pre-season is only four weeks long they're trying to they're just condensing all this rubbish but well no the juggling sucks sucks because they haven't got any stories yeah there's nothing going on is there everybody went on holiday there's been no business done generally across the board other than for like the, the you know the press that cover chelsea have had a bit that they could do and one or two teams Generally speaking, it's just, as we said it would be, it's been a stagnant market. Yeah, nobody, yeah, hardly anybody else has uh, done any business. And the thing is, because it's a 24 7 news cycle and they've got to keep, uh, you know, their targets, they have targets to uh, hit. You could literally have got drunk after that West Ham game, drank so much you slipped into a coma and you woke up today at your coma and you wouldn't have missed anything. And you could catch up in about five minutes. Oh, there's a couple of new kits. Oh, there, all right. Oh, right, fixtures are out. Cool, done. That is it. That's all the news you need to know. You don't need any of that shit. All that other shit has just wasted your life. That's a fact, people. Right, three points. Let's talk about things that actually uh, happen and uh, aren't uh, bullshit. Number one. This is a, uh, I mean, almost tempted to go for number two first because number one kind of feeds into it. But you've got a problem In football, especially in the bottom of the pyramid, I mean, the Premier League will get by without fans because of the TV deal, even though they'll be losing money. That's why there hasn't been mad money splashed everywhere. But lower down, you've got a problem. And before the pandemic, there was such a thing as crisis clubs and, you know, clubs were hitting the wall and uh, struggling. And, you know, you see all these uh, 12 point deductions because of clubs going into administration. So uh, what Lewis FC have, uh, they actually put up a video about this. They're calling for the FA Cup prize money to be redistributed to lower league and women's clubs next season to prevent them from going out of existence. Lower league teams face uncertain futures because of uh, you know the COVID virus and the restrictions. Uh, these teams are more dependent on uh, crowds and footfall through the grounds. So they're proposing that the FA Cup prize money, although that's actually been reduced by half this season because of uh, sponsorship withdrawal, etc. So it's now around 14, 15 million. So they were talking about uh, 45% of the total amount normally goes to the teams that reach the quarterfinals. So what they're proposing is, is a redistribution of that to uh, the lower league teams which uh, I, mean, I think it's one you know it's one solution and we're not talking about lower league as in uh, you know the bottom two tiers of the EFL we're talking about the ones underneath that and also the women's games as well more of a you know kind of grassroots salvation plan any thoughts i, th- I think there's a, a thing outside of not just the FA cup but the you know the, the premier league and the, the so-called big boys they have a certain moral duty don't they to look after the, the ecosystem that actually fuels them because you look at the number of players who are coming through lower division clubs that they sign the codependency they have on you know teams like Villa rely on a lot of those clubs to loan and develop their talent for them yeah so it, it all works together it's you know it's like the minor leagues and the major leagues in American sport it's 
it's the same thing. I just think that the numbers you're talking about in FA Cup wise compared to the Premier League um, are relatively minuscule. When you think about, you know, was it like you know, 15 million, for example, that's like about five places in the Premier League. It's not big prize money compared to a TV deal, whereas you know, a, yeah. a couple of hundred grand to a League Two team that covers their wage structure for the next year or more. Exactly. And when these uh, top teams are actually playing, uh, let's say, their B teams or youth teams in a lot of these games, uh, it's not as if they're really, uh, you know, deserving of that money. They're not putting out the, you know, their best players for everybody to watch, so to speak. So, uh, yeah. And, and if uh, replays are scrapped this year, I mean, there, there's even less chance of, you know, yeah. lower league teams getting a, a day out at Anfield or wherever. I mean, you wouldn't be surprised if uh, at the start of the season, because they had to fit all these fixtures in, this they said, well, there's going to be no League Cup or FA Cup this season. To the Premier League teams, they would have said, yeah, that's no problem. But they, you know, they only carry them on because of the uh, the lower leagues need whatever money they can get from them, and with uh, you know no crowds there, they're not going to get the share of the gate receipts. So uh, there needs to be uh, another funnel of cash down there somehow down the pyramid, and you know that's a practical suggestion. I would say. Uh, moving on to uh, point number two, this week saw the uh, launch of the Football Supporters Association Sustain the Game campaign, which had, uh, as well as uh, Mayo Manset and other Villa supporter groups uh, signing it, uh, as well as most of the 92 clubs. There was also people like Jamie Carragher and you know Henry Winter and several uh, you know journalists across the board. It's only just launched, so there'll be more and more people signing uh, up to it. To cut a long story short, it's based around uh, five key principles. One is to uh, number one is like to protect the clubs, essentially have football clubs as community assets and uh, have a legal protection almost like a listed building for them number two is transparency everybody uh, should have the right to know who actually owns their club and uh, how the authorities behind it operate i mean owners are essentially just custodians of the club on behalf of all of the supporters Uh, number three financial controls fans want rules with real teeth that are independently enforced clubs and leagues can't be left to regulate themselves this is something the uh, football supporters association have been working with and sending proposals to uh, the FA and uh, you know also the government and they've been well received. Uh, number four, what we were just talking about there, strengthening the pyramid. Football as a whole is wealthy but we need a smarter and fairer use of the money in the game to encourage sustainability. And number five, supporter engagement. Fans are the lifeblood of the game. They need a voice in all clubs and on all issues that affect them and their communities. I mean, Villa are trying but uh, you know we're in a situation where the season's, what, a couple of weeks away, two to three weeks away, and uh, the big topic is fans being reintroduced into stadiums. Pretty much every club. I mean, I'm you know I'm uh, on the council of the uh, Football Supporters Association, so uh, you know I'm privy to different clubs' reps talking about you know how they're talking with their clubs, and you know they've had several meetings, you know, be it over Zoom or whatever, with their clubs regarding uh, what is the likelihood and what's the situation in terms of returning Villa. We haven't spoken once yet. The fan consultation group has not been consulted once, and you know I've prodded them a couple of times, had a reply once, but you should be there at the early stage and that is as simple as that understandably you know you want to know about you know when what the sports ground safety authorities have uh, said about villa park and but you know there are football fans that know about these situations and they know the context but you know you still considered to be just there as consumers to uh, buy the shirt and get a season ticket and that's about it but uh, you know it's a, it's a frustrating thing that uh, a lot of the members are, are feeling now anyway sustain the game it's the new catchphrase we'll be using yeah, I think it is. that's definitely a campaign that will build momentum, isn't it, I'm sure? Yeah. Talking about sustaining the game, are Barcelona in turmoil now? This is uh, They had a dynasty, essentially, that ruled Europe, and they were the team to uh, beat in the Champions League. Now uh, they've allowed Real Madrid to uh, skip. I mean, they lost the title last season. The Muller DNA took them apart with that 8-2. That was just the exclamation mark on what's been happening behind the scenes at Barcelona, and uh, it's kind of what drove the message home. I mean, they got beat, like, 4-0 at Paris Saint-Germain didn't they three years ago and they- yeah there was the there was the famous comeback wasn't it was it like they won 6-1 and scored three goals in the last 
couple of minutes or something ridiculous. Yeah, in hindsight now, they're saying that was papering over the cracks because obviously what happened against Liverpool happened. They've had bad, de- you know, bad defeat against Roma and the whole Barcelona ecosystem. I mean, Ronald Koeman's gone in and, uh, you know, he, he's even been quite candid about it, hasn't he, uh, in terms of what's been going on? Yeah, he's really, I mean, because no, he's obviously you know, a, a, a relative Barcelona legend and he comes from that sort of the Johan Cruyff era. Um, yeah. Obviously, you know, that, that whole sort of Dutch connection that they have through the Ajax Academy and playing the Barcelona under him. and the playing yeah. style and, and the, the ideals that underpin everything that Barcelona do in this sort of mesenclub you know, they're, they're more than a club mentality that they have, that that is their identity, which is great. But they seem to have moved away from that. And I think the the fans are kind of looking ahead to next year when the presidential election for the clubs come around and say, well, we can't wait until next year. You know, yeah. we are, we've been crumbling for a while. And then now like, you know, the walls are starting to fall down. No, it, it's it's sad. I mean, I've I've always had a fondness for Barcelona. They yeah, they were same. whenever um, United were all all conquering, you know, in the Premier League. Barcelona were the ones that sort of put them in their place. Whenever it got to Europe, I mean, there was yeah. the first one I remember was from Romario when Stoichkov demolished them. They yeah, had the five nil one year. They just absolutely battered them, didn't they? Yeah, and the the two Champions League finals where they passed them to death as well. So they were they were always good for that. But they've just seemed to have just started to run themselves like a. You know, like a, a like a relegated Premier League team in the Championship. I mean, they've got a seventy percent turnover in their wages. That's the sort of thing that you see bandied about whenever we were down in the in the Championship. But Martin O'Neill was, I think, he was up to eighty percent, wasn't he? Which in which in context, you know, when you've got a ground that holds about ninety thousand and you're getting into the eighties most weeks, yeah, and you've got one of the biggest commercial revenues. You know, you know they are a they they've are got their own deal, haven't they? It's yeah, TV they, yeah, they've got a huge TV deal. They've got. Yeah, they're in the Champions League every year. You know, it's it's inconceivable they won't be in the Champions League. Um, you know, they've they've obviously the, the first time in probably the last decade they've started having a shirt sponsor. But when when I grew up, Barca never had a shirt sponsor. So to have seventy percent of your revenue being spent on first team wages shows that you've you've almost gone against everything you stand for and gone very like Galactico, like they do in Madrid, yeah. and, and gone and bought these mean, players. And these these big players they haven't worked, have they? They've they've bought these superstar expensive guys and they sold Neymar because it was normally all about the farm wasn't it yeah I mean you you look at the um you know, La Masia and and this this sort of that was the that was the, the breeding ground for the culture that underpinned the club I mean you look at that golden era dynasty of sort of Pep you know Pep came through the B team system at Barca and he'd been a player before you know you had the likes of Xavi Iniesta Messi Busquets Puyol Valdez and many more. You know, the spine of that team that was all conquering was all homegrown talent. It was their version of the, you know, like the class of '92 at Manchester United. Yeah, they've signed recently. They've signed 47 players for Barca's B team, and not one of them have made it into the first team. This is just pathetic. I mean, we, we talk about Villa and your Calmo Harris not making it into the first team. Barcelona have basically signed. 47 versions of him, and not one of them have made it. <laughs> Adama Traore was one of them, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and it's the identity of what they've been signing. You know, I know every club now has to spread their net much further and wider and be much more international. But Barca's big thing was they'd get the best Catalan players, they'd get the best players from like the regional areas of Spain and develop all these homegrown guys. Now they're getting people from all over the place. But when they dip into that global market to get them, they're going up against you know your Man Cities, your Chelsea's. These are the teams who are actually outspending them in the youth market. I mean, a lot of staff have left. I mean, the guy who signed uh, Louis Barry, who, who's obviously ended up at Villa, he disappeared as well, didn't he? Yeah, uh, and that was part of why Barry came back to Villa, I think. I think Barry probably looked over his shoulder and thought, hang on a minute, I don't have a single ally at this club anymore. I could yeah. very easily find myself festering here. And the, I'm sure their, you know, their, their graduation <laughs> rate, in terms of the number of players who graduate into the first team, currently is not particularly good i mean they uh, the players they do have come through are superb players but for every one or two that make the first team you're talking about 20 odd who don't i mean Fes- fester in barcelona or fester at body more here yeah, so there's a <laughs> choose your poison <laughs> yeah it's sort of interesting when you 
you hear that things, even just little things that underpin the culture, like they turn the Wi-Fi off at La Masia at night so the players, you know, can't be sat on their phones all night or they have to be sociable. This is something that and Paul they teach Lambert them respect, you, don't they? Paul Lambert used to be all about that. You, you weren't allowed to take your mobile phone in to so, the like, to uh, lunch to, and dinner and stuff, were you? Well, to any, although saying that, it, when we went to see the players train, uh, there was that sign, wasn't there, about no mobiles and that's on the uh, the gym. Yeah, no phones in the gym. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. So it's it's, it's going to be interesting because they did re- they got seduced a little bit and they started to follow that Real Madrid model. Dembele they bought for huge money, didn't they? I think you know, Gr- Gr- Griezmann and Frankie de Jong and these kind of guys. There's a few players playing in the wrong you know wrong positions, out of position. Yeah, that was something Kuman said, wasn't it? And they're buying stars as opposed to players who can come in and buy into a a, a set in stone playing style and culture. It's not yeah. a guarantee when you bring in a world class player that they are going to slot into that those ideals and the engine. Culture. The engine. This is something that Villa are obviously trying to uh, create their own version of. Right. Anyway, enough of those Spanish uh, folk. Even on a budget, quality is non negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high end essentials at fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Let's uh, move on. Uh, before we do, I just want to say a big thank you to the uh, My Old Man Said patrons as usual. Thank you very much, uh, especially this month to uh, Gavin Embry, Jacob Russell, James Withers, Noel Foley, Rudy Lobo, Gary Barr, and Alex Hyons for uh, joining us. And uh, also thanks to Jerome McCarthy for upgrading as well. When you join as a patron, you get access to uh, extra podcast shows. And also you join uh, Match Club, which is our 24-7 private little villa club, which comes alive on match days. Uh, It's uh, like a live podcast almost. I just put out uh, our under and over for the whole of the current villa squad based on their performances in the 2019-20 season. Uh, that ran for about 45 minutes. I was going to put it out as a show, but I thought uh, that I would uh, put it out as a patron extra. So uh, do sign up uh, to get access to that, and uh, Match Club will be cranking up in the next few weeks. Uh, so uh, once you sign up, uh, also make sure you connect up with uh, Match Club. It's all uh, reasonably self-explanatory. But go to myomansaid.com, click on the patron link for more details, and hopefully see you there soon. Right, before we finish off the show with underrated and overrated, Mr. Brad Guzan and Julian Jochum. Dean Smith put out an interview. And what did you learn last season being in the Premier League? I'm, I'm sure there's a, there's a long list, but what were sort of the key things that you're going to take into this season? I think sometimes to, to give my, myself a little bit of time to review where we are. Um, you don't normally get that chance to do it. I managed to get that chance during the lockdown where I could review what we were doing and how we were doing it and, you know, come up with a, you know, a new plan. Um, you know, and I probably went into the season a little bit naive in terms of trying to win every game when sometimes... But that's natural. It is natural and I'm never going to, I'll never lose that, but sometimes you have to be a little bit more pragmatic and, uh, you know, you can't expect a lot of the ball at times against Liverpool and Manchester City's and, 
you know, uh, I have to play a little bit differently at times. You guys have listened to it. What, what was the gist of it? He spoke well. He was very sort of philosophical, very balanced. What did you learn? Is. What did you learn? I think the main takeaway was that we we learned that he learned. You know, we said through the season, are Villa learning from their mistakes? And I think from what he he you know retrospectively, he he you would think he used COVID to his advantage. You know, he did a lot of probably a bit of soul searching of himself in terms of what am I doing wrong here? They got the coaching staff together and said, what are we doing well? What are we not? And they just managed to evaluate everything that they were doing. And you could see that in things like their goals conceded and the, all the metrics that they used to, you know, to, to gauge how they're doing. They did improve in the last 10 games. You know, I think I think the big thing was that he got the players down to sort of sit down, you know, one-to-one with him and do evaluations personally. And he got them to do group sessions through COVID in terms of let's, let's analyse each other and, but traditionally, uh, managers always sit down one on one with their players, so you know it's not as if uh, well. He normally just they don't get the, the chance wheel. to in mid season. No, I don't think. And he had a chance to really do all their yeah. analytics that they would probably do in pre season in the middle of the season. And I think you know, I think he he sort of alluded to the fact that after that Leicester defeat, you know, the the run they'd had at the start of the season, he was he was literally having to pick a team up off the floor that were no, they were going down. And they and they thought they were going down. And they'd Did lost he say that? Yeah, he said you know they, they just yeah. they, the team had lost their belief. They were a relegated team. When he spoke, did he exude ambition above and beyond what we've seen so far? He did come across as a bit more settled, a bit more you know, a bit more bravado, a bit more confidence about him. It's you know, it was he, he did truly believe that it was something that he did that got this over you know that got us over the line and uh, and I like to see that because we've said before about him being so nice and you know a nice guy and everything else maybe a bit humble you know yeah. he he did for all for all the things that I've criticized him for especially he did turn it around and he did get us over the line he still has a slight over Sorry, placing a lot of importance and expected goals, but that's just my pet hate. I mean, he, yeah. he still he, he still thinks he still thinks due to the expected goals we should have won the Chelsea game at home. And anybody that <laughs> anybody that used eyes instead of expected goals knows that was completely wrong. But anybody who's got a pair of eyes, yeah, definitely. Yeah, but no, I, I'm I'm liking I'm, like like Chris says he's learning as well. So we'll have to give him the same sort of leeway that we give some of the younger players that are learning because it was his first season in the Premier League. I think it was the f- biggest test that Smith will have uh, in terms of if he is to have success with Villa and is to kick Villa on. Uh, what happened last season was uh, a massive thing in terms of uh, making him grow, making him learn and uh, making him feel like he is Aston Villa's uh, boss after getting through that. Absolutely, and I'll, and I'll finish on the point. You know, you've, you've seen Smith interviewed now. I'm really interested to see the likes of Shakespeare come out and talk about his plans and his role, and and you know the new sporting director and people like that. I mean, I'm interested to see yeah. what what these guys sort of foresee, and, and if you know, I'm sure Perslo will come out at some point, and you'd expect him to be pretty bullish as he always is in terms of their ambitions, which will ultimately be judged on their transfer activity. But if they're looking over a much longer period, we, we shall see. Right, let's get on to... Uh, we haven't had it in the show. Well, we've done a 45-minute-plus uh, special for My Old Man Said patrons on last year's squad. Underrated or overrated? Normally, under and overrated is where we go back uh, into like recent Aston Villa history and try to individually come up with a case to rate that player as underrated or overrated doesn't mean you know they're the greatest player they could be a a magnificent player but they were overrated at Villa I mean it's it's something that's a kind of a fluid form there is no right or wrong answer so uh first up who, who should we have first Mr Bud let's go with Mr Bradley Guzan shall we well as we open up always with a question why did we buy him Good question, <laughs> from my point of view. We chased him, which is worse because we couldn't get a work permit for him the first time we tried to oh, buy him. Yeah. Yeah. But I think we'd gone gone through a period where we'd had dodgy keepers for a while. I mean, we used to be, we had Spinks, we had Bosnick, and then we started to get into your Enkelmans, your Sorensen's. David James. Your, David James on paper, Actually played, should have been a played good... well for us. He played well for us, apart from the FA Cup final. But in the league, he was generally pretty good, and he he started to lose his calamity uh, tag until the you know the bloody yeah. FA Cup final. So we we were looking. I mean, Martin O'Neill, he's got a 
the momentum you know Randy Lerner's just come in we're starting to buy players we're 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 looking at Champions League and one thing you've got to do is solve the goalkeeper situation. Before we had Brad Fruder, we, we we had um, Scott Carson, of course, who was a good keeper, but again, just like so many other Villa goalkeepers, he had errors in him at key moments. But he was only on loan, was he not, for a season? Was he in that for England against Croatia? Was that what ruined yeah. him? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Scott Carson was at Villa in 07, 08 and pretty much played every game. He'd had, he'd had loads of loans at that point from, from Liverpool. He barely kicked the ball for him. And he's now, strangely, Manchester City's third choice or fourth choice yeah. goalkeeper. But yeah, Guzan would have come in as, as cover for Carson and then eventually for Friedel. So in his, in his very early years at Villa, he was very much... Number two, no, very much you know the backup goalkeeper, which you know I think we bought him for like a million dollars or you know, about seven hundred and fifty grand at the time. So it wasn't a big, a big money deal. O'Neill was trying to give us two, you know, decent keepers, wasn't he? After having Carson was stopgap for a, a one season loan, yes. And uh, so we're we're suddenly in this weird position where we had two American goalkeepers, and I think they were both they were number one and two for America, weren't they? If I remember yeah. right, I think Tim Howard would have been around as well. So they were kind of they were all. Guzan was sort of like the young up and comer, yeah. Which uh, kind of kind of strange in terms of how we how we would uh, view the states, especially at that time, in terms of quality of football. As I mean, on an international level, shall I say? Yeah. If anybody, any patrons has listened to the Sean Teal interview where we were talking about. Uh, I think this was at a time who was going to play in the. I think we we're having the conversation about you know when you when you put in your backup goalkeeper and then you get to the semi or the final and then you're thinking ah who we're going to play in goal is he going to stick and show loyalty because Guzan was the the cup keeper and then he played uh, famously in that game against Blackburn Rovers and he was just flapping all over the place that's why it ended up six four wasn't it yeah we had a mare that night. And Sean Teal said, he said he was sitting up in the stand with Colin Gibson and, you know, they thought, well, you know, he's, he's all right, this Guzan. And then they they were like, what is he doing? What is he doing? And uh, Yeah, two and, of the goals he conceded were absolute shockers as well. Brad Guzan in that game, you're just thinking, I can't see much of a future for him. No, which was a shame, actually, because one of his, probably his best moments in a Villa shirt early on, especially, was I think earlier in that cup run, he went to Stadium of Light, didn't we? We beat Sunderland on penalties. I think he saved a penalty in normal time and three in extra time. All of a sudden, everybody had him down as a bit of a Bosnich-esque penalty specialist. But because I remember with Guzan in that cup run, you know, obviously he played all the way through and those were the games he used to play in the FA Cup ones. Um but we'd never keep a clean sheet. We very seldom kept a clean sheet with Guzan, even in that team. And that had a good back four and a, obviously you know, probably one of the best midfields we've had in the last 20 years. And then I remember, obviously, there was the semi-final he conceded. And if I remember rightly, it was the week before the final, we played um, a cup replay against Palace and he was absolutely bloody awful. And yeah, everyone was and- like, he's just flapping at everything. You know, he was a good shot stopper, but he just didn't command his box and... He wasn't coming for crosses, and everyone was like, the, the crowd were really getting not getting on his back, but they were getting frustrated because he, they were, he just wasn't making decisions. And I think at that point, O'Neill thought, you know what, if he goes to Wembley, we're going to get battered. <laughs> yeah, that was an easy decision uh, for him to make there. And then, of course, post O'Neill, he, he became backup for Shea Given, and you know, I know, but him. he had his, his finest moment ever was uh, saving that Del Piero penalty in the Peace <laughs> Cup. One of the worst penalties <laughs> you'll ever see. Not a bad man to have taking your final penalty is Alessandro Del Piero. If he scores this, Juventus will win the Peace Cup. Oh, that is the worst penalty I have ever seen. (laughs) That is a terrible penalty from Alessandro Del Piero. That is absolutely woeful. If you've never seen it, it's, it's, then it's you've got moment. to watch it because you've got Guzan before every penalty, giving it the shock and all, you know, jumping up and down, flapping his arms around, really you know, giving it a real uh, GI Joe approach to it. So, I mean, Perlo would just put it in the corner, send him the wrong way, and just laugh at him. <laughs> and uh, I think Del Piero was trying to do a similar thing because he just saw him just. 
going batshit crazy on the line thinking he's just going to dive one way or the other. So I'm just going to toe poke it down the middle. <laughs> and you see Guzan, he's like, he almost looks angry, he's ready. And then the ball starts to trickle towards him and he wants to dive, but he's, his eyes are locked on this ball. It's just pee rolling towards him. And then he's almost insulted by, isn't it? Just, I can't remember if he just kicks it away. Kicks and it away in anger, yeah. He's he shouts like, why is, at him. Why is this shit? <laughs> the fuck are you insulting me for? Well, that shit. It's a great moment of football. It's very, very yeah, it's funny. very, very funny. Isn't it? I, re- I remember a game um, during Lambert's time against QPR at home. Really, really important game. That he won made a worldy save. 3-2. That was an unbelievable save. That was that was in his primary. It was he had his, a season. What, what is season. He had a great season. It was the first yep. Lambert season when um, Given had come yep. in and played that year under um, McLeish, hadn't he? And we thought we'd lost Guzan because he was fucking off. Yeah, and then he went, Lam- he went Lambert, off and then resigned Lambert him. pulled it out of the bag. Yeah, and then Given by that point, had actually he was kind of in the bomb squad by then. And uh, and it was his first season at Villa as number one. And that year, when obviously that was the year that sort of Benteke yeah. pretty much kept us up single-handedly. But Guzan at the back was incredible as well. And he made some great saves for the season. But that QPR one that Phil mentions was an absolute... I think it won um, match of the day save of the season, if I remember rightly. It was he just clawed it out from under the bar. It was one of those ones where yeah, we had absolutely no right to save it. Um, and everyone at that point thought, oh, actually, do you know what? We've actually got a really good goalkeeper here. Because that was one of the weird things. Because when because Shea Given was was recognised as you know one of the top keepers in the league when he came to Villa, he, he was like. It, Way past it. I remember that cup game against Norwich because suddenly, uh, you know, Shea Given was playing in the cup runs and Guzan was the number one. We played Norwich in the uh, the quarter final before we got beat by, you know, who in the semi final of the League Cup over two legs, Bradford. That they we do not talk about. But that Norwich game was one of the best away games I've ever been to. It was absolute fucking carnage when we were, I think, 1-0 down. And then we batted the Benteke and Vyman took them apart. Holman scored. Yeah, yeah Holman, Holman scored, scored well, as well. Yeah. But being in the crowd, Shea Given was all over the place and he looked like he'd, he, he was shot through. You know, The game was on a knife edge because you just thought, Shea Given's going to fuck this up for us. It's going to be like 5-4 or something ridiculous. And I couldn't. And I remember on that night, just think, what has happened to Shea Given? And then you're in a position where Guzan, who he'd written off, was suddenly uh, a man transformed. But he only lasted a season. Then Guzan, he, he reverted back to his former self. Yeah, he was flapping, and he was. He always had an error in him, and he was another one of those goalkeepers in you know, the modern era of a goalkeeper. You have to be great with your feet, and Guzan, Ooh. bless him, just wasn't, was he? The Manchester City incident. Remember oh, that yeah. one? God, yeah. And, and there were and there were others. <laughs> God. There were where others. He, where he, he shared he wasn't very good with his feet on that day. Oh, that was embarrassing. Because we played quite well against them uh, in we that did. game. Yeah, we did. And then he really just fucked it up and he just thought, you've got to leave. Sorry, mate. you got to yeah, go. Yeah, and then, of course, by the by his kind of final season, the, you know, the fateful year we went down, it was just, I mean, admittedly for him, it must be hard when you're getting, you know, threes and fours put past you every other week. And with yeah. the bat four he had in front of him, but he was making awful errors as well. And you know, fate, you know, that fateful day at Wickham in the FA Cup where him and Lescott were caught spitting their chewing gum and seeing who could get it the furthest and then turning around when fans were banging on the window going, what the hell do you think you're doing? And telling the fans to fuck off. That's where the relationship with the fans was just finished with him. Pretty sure our previous trip to Wickham before that had been. It was like a very ple- was you. You were there as well. Yeah, One it was of the a preseason game. Very pleasant summery preseason game. A day. Uh, Jack Grealish made his first ever appearance for the uh, senior team. There's a big marquee out there. It was a real pleasant. You're thinking this is you know this is how football should be, and this is encouraging me to go to every preseason game ever because it was you know it was a great day out. And then the next time we went to Wickham, or this time we're talking about, was was it was like Armageddon. Everything was going wrong. Fans queuing outside the coach, telling all the players to fuck off. Bakuna, you can fuck off too. <laughs> it was unbelievable. You fucking prick! Fucking 
And uh, yeah, the, the old chewing gum incident as well. And and you know, Mikael Richards, to his credit, at least he got up and started engaging with yeah, the fans he, and he, talking he, to yeah, them. He fronted up that day, didn't he? When, yeah. all, when none of the players did, and we I think we drew, didn't we? That day, we had to take Wickham to a replay to get because the fans were behind the, the touchline, ready to drag Guzan into oblivion. But I think you know, when Guzan looks back on his time at Villa, it was certainly uh, entertaining and interesting. Yeah, he was. I suppose he was between the sticks through what you could class as probably one of the most challenging periods, certainly in my <laughs> lifetime, in the last sort of 30 years of Villa. Yeah. And he was, he was the goalie who had to deal with the barrage of crap that was coming his way. And then, of course, he, you know, he left, didn't he, the, the, the season, after you know, our first season in the Championship, he was you know, farmed out to Middlesbrough and has never really been seen again since. He went back to the States, did he not? Yeah, I think he stayed at Middlesbrough for like a season and then he he realised it wasn't going to happen. And He is currently at Atlanta United where he's been since 2017, so he's been playing games. How old is he? Old enough to know better, David. Uh, He is 35. He's still got a few seasons in him, potentially. If he he goes as long as uh, Friedel, he's in his prime. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, Mr. Guzan, under or overrated? I'll go go underrated. Despite the way it finished, he, he did have that season where he, he was one of the top keepers in the league and he didn't cost us that much and he had been a bit unfortunate in, in previous seasons not to get more of a chance. So I'll I'll give him the yeah. benefit of the doubt and go underrated. Yeah, I would I mean I would say underrated because I never expected him to last much longer after that Blackburn semi final. And as you know, as Chris just said, I mean, what a time to be at Villa, and it's a shit, shitty wicket. So I'm cutting him some slack on that one, and I'll say underrated. Yeah, I think I'll kind of, as you said, I'll, I'll give him some context. In certain that, you know, it very much doesn't mean I rate the guy because I don't. Exactly, but, same but, here. But yeah, but I think um, because of the circumstances, it was you know, it was on a bit of a hiding to nothing, and um, you know, and it was just a. It, because of that, how much he cut, you know, he wasn't like it was a, a big, a big money goalkeeper, a high profile signing that, you know, like Shea Given is downright overrated by the time we had him. Guzan, yeah. I think you can sort of say, well, do you know what? Giving the benefit of the doubt, a little bit underrated. There's no little bit. Well, I just said underrated, didn't I? <laughs> you said a little bit underrated. Right, moving on to Julian Joachim. Why did we buy Julian Joachim? He came from Leicester, did he not? Yeah, it was another one of Brian Little's ex. Leicester players that we bought, um, we got him in the February of the 95-96 season. So the, this was a, you know, we stepped into a team that were flying high at the time. I think we were fourth in the league. We would have been probably about to play the Coca-Cola Cup final and, you know, challenging in, I think we you know, obviously still in the FA Cup. It was a team that were challenging on all fronts and he was brought in basically as, as a, as a slightly different option. You know, we had Milosevic and York were leading the line. You had Johnson as the main backup and then he came in as this sort of small but stocky speedster who could finish yeah my friend used to play with play with i think it was at grantham i mean this is when he was younger but he, he was known for being very quick and he scored a shitload of goals from my experience of watching we me and my uh villa going friend at the time we used to call him clubfoot <laughs> <laughs> which sounds yeah. very hard we're very harsh people uh uh, horrible, horrible, horrible people. But yeah, which leads me to think that that was based on some of his finishing was a bit erratic at times. See, I remember him being a good finisher. Yeah, it's funny how the memory erodes. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, he, he did score probably one of my favourite Villa goals of all time, which I've, I've been looking for on YouTube, but can't find it. It was a, a way to West Ham. He, he the, just sort of edge of the box, he took a complete air shot at it and the crowd started jeering him and everything else. But the air shot was so bad, he beautifully done a 360 and just smashed in the volley on the way back and just silenced <laughs> the crowd. So, and no, he was, he was exactly what he said. He was, he was a completely different option to anything else that we had. It's, yeah. it's, it's what we were looking sort of this season. We, we were just yeah, looking something like, was, completely different. It was, it was like a little cannonball. He was sort of, because he wasn't like small and slight. He was small but run. Yeah, yeah, he was small and stocky. What did he call that uh, bowler for England that used to, the fast bowler for England that uh, didn't, ah, didn't, yeah, have, yeah. didn't have much of a neck? He reminded me of him. <laughs> Gladstone Small. <laughs> Gladstone Small, yeah. 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 Well, he reminded me a bit of him. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, was, I, you know, I was always a fan of Joachim because... <laughs> He, again, he didn't. He was never like a. It wasn't like the sexy signing or hot, like massively hyped. Ever, and he was never really the main man. But a bit similar to Tommy Johnson, I always classed those two as two of our best ever super subs. 
they could always come on and they'd they'd always sort of get involved and change a game. Yeah, I think he hit, hit the nail on the head there in terms of he he was a, a character. I, I get. You know, I'm not a big fan of just buying some kind of functional player for like 15 million and you have no affinity or connection with him and, you know, then he disappears and that's it. But this is a guy who you just, you know, you know, personally I thought, hey, he's, you know, he's not one of the best strikers we've got, but he, he was something, it was a character, it was totally different, you know, that's shit. Might as well bring on Gladstone Small and see what he can do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Give him the new ball. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, he, and he could finish any, and he, and he actually played in some really important games for Villa. That's good. So well, what was he? He was like a three and a one in every three and a half games, something, yeah, like, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Did he Which score in the Arsenal good. game? I think he, he did. He score in the Arsenal game. The, yeah, he the scored comeback? the first goal in that famous comeback. I remember one against Coventry where he, I think he taken yeah. it around the the goalkeeper. And he was virtually on the byline, and somehow managed to get it in the far corner. Yeah, yeah like, like a like, how on miracle earth did he, angle. Yeah, how on earth did you get it in from there? Bit of spin from Gladstone Small. Yeah, he's like a little <laughs> leg cutter. And um, he, I mean, he scored on his debut. You know, his first, he went the first time he, he played for us against Blackburn. He um, came straight into the team and scored. Ooh, and I remember well, a great finish against. We played United. Admittedly, it was back when Manu used to play the kids in the early rounds of the Worthington Cup. But I remember him turning on a sixpence and blasting it with the outside of his right foot into the top corner. It was a brilliant finish. And he had, he had a few like that where he was actually pretty composed in front of the goal when you put yeah. him clean through. And I'm sure his, his biggest game for Villa would have been, you know, coming off the bench in the 2000 Cup final, which was a shame. But, you, you know, you talk about sort of character and, and the, the person. He was direct, he was direct as really well, di- wasn't he? Really direct. And it was a great foil for like, you know, at the time it would have been Dublin or Collymore or York or Milosevic and, you know, he he was always in and around lots of different teams, and he did score goals. I think his best season he scored like sixteen in that. Um, it would have been the ninety eight ninety nine season where we were you know top of the league for a long time and fucked it up in the last sort of third of the season. But yeah. it speaks of his character that he was still playing non league football at the age of forty five. Yeah, he did. He did drag it out a bit, didn't he? <laughs> Just a bit. <laughs> but uh, I'm trying to have some recall on why. Why we called him Clubfoot, and I can't remember if he'd scored a toe poker or something, some like ridiculous t- toe poker. He wasn't what you'd call a pass it in the bottom corner type striker, we'll put it that way. Yeah, if he had to put his laces through it, he put his laces through it because Gabby would always scuff his shooting. I mean, a lot of the time they would go in because they weren't hit cleanly, so the keeper was a bit deceived. Yeah, but he he had a another, it's almost like he toe poked some of his shots. Anyway, so in conclusion, uh, under or overrated? It has to be underrated. He's, yeah, I've he's, got nothing but fond memories of George. I'm saying he's, he was really, really underrated. And from a good time I would as have, well. Originally, before before listening to your fond memories, because <laughs> I, I, I spent two years in Australia while he was playing, so I'd, I would have missed out the day-to-day, so to speak, of seeing him play. So I was more of a – let's on that – his career, especially well, two seasons, would have been more of a highlights man. But I was going to go overrated. But surfing on your fun memories and uh, just he was up for it, and you know he had that directness. So I'm going to go underrated as well. Yeah, he didn't let you down. If he was one of our four strikers now, you'd you'd be uh, you'd be happy with that because it'd be well, better. Dean Smith than would look over his over his shoulder to his bench and go. I think I've got some quality there. Was was Gladstone Small doing <laughs> on my bench? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's then get your pads on. <laughs> anyway, so that's uh, Julian Joachim, ladies and gentlemen. If you are never seen him play, do uh, check out some uh, YouTube footage of him with like circa 96, 2000. Yeah, 96 to about 2000. Yeah, he was, yeah, and okay. even not early 2000s, really. He was, he, he was very much a battle weapon for John Gregory. That was when he was at yeah. his best. Yeah, he needed a Kappa shirt because the, the Reebok ones at the time, they, they drowned him. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he was a short ass. It was him and Alan Wright battling it out for who was the shortest. In those baggy Reeboks. When you look at how many appearances, just on a final note, Joachim played, I think it's like around, around about 140, scored about third, just under 40 goals. But I, I'd like to see that, but how many actual minutes he played. Because obviously, you know, he was a, a sub a lot of the time as well. And that would probably make his goal ratio uh, probably a bit more impressive. But anyway, Mr. Joachim, underrated. Right, it's time to wrap this uh, one up while we uh, 
sit here drooling like the rest of the Villa fans waiting for a first transfer. I'm not in any, you know, rush or whatever. I think it's always good if you've got your eyes on somebody who, let's say, could transform the team or, or seriously strengthen it. It would, would be good to get him in with, you know, at least a couple of weeks of pre-season under his belt. But it doesn't seem to be a uh, a, a buyer's market at the moment. No, everybody's waiting on the first one. We shall see. Please do, if you want to uh, hear an extended, underrated and overrated podcast on the uh, current Villa squad, uh, based on their efforts of last season, uh, please do become a My Own Men Said patron. Uh, just go to myomensaid.com and sign up there. Also, uh, please do, uh, if you want to keep tabs on offers on uh, the new villa kits and training gear and also uh, offers on like retro kits as well check out the my old man said website and uh, look on the shop option i do keep that up to date weekly uh, with different offers whether it's uh, free posting or 10 percent off etc so uh, if you're in the market to buy something do uh, cast an eye over there and uh, you know if you listen on apple please do drop us a review and subscribe also and subscribe on spotify as well right until next time hopefully something will happen in the villaverse and until then it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from them goodbye goodbye I've said it so many times and you see it in the bloody film Moneyball that there are intangible things that make a player the difference because they're all you know anyone who's a professional footballer is technically a good player let's be honest apart from Alan Hudson yeah but uh, <laughs> but, it, but he has Sorry. loads of like you know he has like courage and heart and stuff like that that's what made him yeah, the yeah. player he was he, he fans liked him and he was effective for Villa because of non-technical things and sometimes you need that stuff okay, para que vayan aprendiendo no Así uno que aprendió hace ratos Alessandro del Piero Pinturicchio de derecha la regaló increíble no ha aprendido entonces no ha aprendido away days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for McDonald's maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery order now on the McDonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonalds.com this podcast is proud to be part of the talk sport fan network talk sport powered by fans